Ben Komen ran cross-country for Hannah High School in Anderson, South Carolina. He wasn't great at all, at least he wasn't fast. But when he ran, he often drew a crowd. From his earliest days, he wanted to face his obstacles and go after his goals. In truth, he always wanted to be on a team. So when he ran on that cross-country team, he often had a smile on his face and always had joy in his heart. I imagine the Apostle Paul had a smile on his face and joy in his heart every time he remembered that small, fledgling faith community in Philippi. Those dear friends who had supported him and sent him care packages of sorts through the years. You see, back then, in about 60 A.D., there were very few Jews who lived in the city of Philippi. So Paul's usual plan or approach of preaching in a new city was to go and preach in the synagogue. But that wasn't possible because there wasn't a synagogue there. So he found some women, religious women, and he told them about Jesus. Their life changed. Lydia was a wealthy dealer in purple cloth, and she converted. And next, a slave girl, and even the jailer, who was keeping Paul in custody at the time. That's pretty cool, right? So from that time on, Paul had a tender and warm relationship with the Christ followers in Philippi. Indeed, they formed the very first church on the continent of Europe. So let's now imagine an older Paul dictating a letter, dictating a letter from a Roman jail cell. Having these essays smuggled out and taken to Philippi, taken to a group of people, not an individual, but to a whole group. And since Paul is not there, I mean physically not there, the letter needed to be read out loud, kind of a proxy for a face-to-face -face visit. This letter, these essays, must have made for some moving and very touching reading, because even in his dreadful condition, Paul's letter is bursting with joy. His readiness to embrace his fate, whatever it may be, is incredibly moving. And for Paul, that joy, that source of deep pleasure comes entirely as a gift from Christ. Paul wants to know Christ, who is our true goal, our destiny, our home. Yes, the Apostle Paul's conversion to Christianity was quite dramatic. You remember his Damascus Road experience where he was struck blind? Now here, in the third chapter of this letter, and other places in the New Testament as well, but particularly here, we see how Paul describes this radical change in his perspectives after he has encountered the living Lord, Jesus Christ. Yes, in that depressing jail cell, not knowing if he will live or die, wondering what he is still being called to do, it seems that Paul is assessing his life, exploring things of ultimate importance, pondering what it is that shapes his identity at this stage, what gives him security, what brings him great joy. I wonder... When was the last time you took a serious look at your life and asked yourself those questions? What is it that shapes your identity? What gives you ultimate security? 
what brings you great joy. Fred Craddock used to tell a story of a missionary family in China who was forced to leave the country sometime after the communists took over. One day, there was a band of soldiers who knocked on their door, and they told this missionary, his wife and children, that they had two hours to pack up before the troops would escort them to the train station. They would be permitted to take with them only 200 pounds of stuff. And thus began two hours of family wrangling and bickering. What should we take? Well, what about this vase? It's a family heirloom. So we've got to take the vase. Or, or this typewriter. It's brand new. We're not going to leave it behind. Oh, and our books. Oh, we've got to take some books with us along. On and on it went. Putting stuff on the bathroom scale, taking it off, on, off, until finally... They had a pile of possessions that totaled 200 pounds on the dot. At the appointed hour, the soldiers returned to their home, and they asked, Are you ready? Yes, they replied. Did you weigh your stuff? Yes, we did. 200 pounds? 200 pounds on the dot. Did you weigh the kids? The kids? Weigh the kids? And in an instant, that vase, that typewriter, those books, it all became trash. None of it meant anything compared to the surpassing value of the children. Craddock used this story so well. He used it to illustrate the power of what he calls the moment of truth. Sometimes events crash into our lives in such a way that we are forced to view all of life in a new light in an instant. And suddenly, what had previously been of value to us, it comes to mean, well, absolutely nothing. We're only too happy to leave it behind. The Apostle Paul's conversion to Christianity was like that. His identity, his security, his joy— It was all dramatically altered in an instance. Writing to his friends in Philippi from this Roman jail, Paul is offering a warning. He's encouraging them to beware of those who have theologically missed the boat, so to speak. Folks who put works and practices, like the practice of circumcising all male converts, They put that practice above the grace of Christ. So Paul talks to them about this, and he recounts his accolades and credentials as a devout Jew. Yes, Paul had all the right training, good genes, perfect pedigree. He was a Pharisee and blameless under the law. He did all the right things. It was darn impressive. Yes, it was, but unimportant when compared to knowing Christ. Indeed, he calls it all rubbish, trash, garbage. Basically, he admits that this self-confident religious perfectionism that once ruled his life, well, it's not so important. Indeed, it's garbage. And eventually he understood that his intensity, his zeal was simply an exercise in pride and futility. So Paul did an about face. 
One theologian said Paul abandoned his quest for religion that is based upon insider ethnicity, rule-keeping, and the fantasy of perfection, and he forfeited his self-righteousness. Instead, Paul simply wants to know Christ and the power of the resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, don't misunderstand. Paul is not saying Judaism and the practices of faith are unimportant. Because, friends, if we don't practice our faith, it struggles to survive. And that's why we put such an emphasis on the disciples' path around here. The practices of our faith are so important. But what Paul is saying is that this new life in Christ is much more important. It is of much more value. Faithfulness matters, but it doesn't save us. We are saved by what God has done in Christ. We are saved by grace. A friend of mine put it this way, faithfulness is the joyous response to being claimed, loved, and included in the family of God. For Paul, this is what matters the most. It's not the status he had gained by birth or by discipline. It's not experiences that set him apart. I mean, those things matter. They matter a lot, but they don't matter ultimately. Christ surpasses everything of worth. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I want to know this power of his resurrection. Not that he's already obtained this or reached this goal, but he presses on to make it his own because Christ Jesus has made him his own. And here's this week's memory verse. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. I press on. One scholar said to be found is not a possession, but a home to which we belong. A home to which we belong. I really like that Christ as home. It's a helpful image if we think of it as something we are constantly longing for. If we think of it as something that lies ahead of us that we are pressing toward, To be found in Christ then automatically launches us on a journey with Christ. My longtime friend, Tom R., who's a pastor in Kansas City, has just written a book called Joy, Even on Your Worst Days, Wisdom from the Philippians. I found it to be very helpful in writing this sermon. Thanks, Tom. Indeed, Tom reminds us that Paul is clearly on a journey and he has reached this goal He's not been made complete or brought to perfection. Paul's not perfect, and neither are we. To be perfect is to finally become the person that God intends you to become. I I don't know about you, but I'm still on this journey, trying to be shaped by the mind of Christ, the life of Christ, and the love of Christ. No, we aren't home yet, but Paul is pressing on, straining forward like an athlete confident that God will bring it all to completion one day. But let's be honest, this life of faith is not pure. It's messy and chaotic, and we blunder and make mistakes and have setbacks. And even when we do get it right, we've got farther to go. 
we're still on that journey, pressing towards Christ, trying to become that one God wants us to be. You remember Ben Coleman, that cross-country runner who wasn't fast, but who always drew a crowd? Well, when asked why they watched him, some people said, because it was beautiful. Ben never won his races. He never beat anyone across that finish line. For indeed, Ben holds the record for being the slowest cross-country runner in the United States. He's a smart guy. After high school, he attended Tom's and my alma mater. But Ben was born with cerebral palsy. And since he was young, he has been limited to control his arms. And there's always been stiffness in his legs that made running exhausting and difficult. It wasn't unusual for Ben to stumble and fall. So by the time he crossed the finish line, he, he was often bloodied and bruised. But even though everyone else had finished the race, they stayed around waiting. And not just his teammates, but kids from the other teams, they waited. And when he neared the finish line, they all returned to the track and they crossed the finish line together. And then they clapped and they cheered and they jumped for joy. For the onlookers, <laughs> there was hardly a dry eye in the bleachers. One time, Rick Riley of Sports Illustrated asked, why do they hang around to watch the slowest high school cross-country runner in America? And Riley answered his own question, because Ben Coleman never quits. When Ben was born, his parents thought their son would never walk. But Ben saw things differently. His greatest desire was to have a place to belong. And for that, Ben was willing to overcome his physical limitations and not just walk, but run. Indeed, he's been running all his life. Not from something, but towards something. In his book, my friend Tom put it like this. I wonder if people stayed to watch Ben because they realized that they were so much like him, or more likely, they wanted to be like him. Ben himself often said, I feel like I've been put here as an example. I mean, you can either stop trying or you can pick yourself up and keep going. It's just more fun to keep going. Yes, people would gather to watch, knowing that they were not always good at the things that matter most. They watched him because they know what it's like to live life stumbling and falling and messing up. Not because of constrained or unresponsive muscles, but because of fear and selfishness and violence that leave our souls somewhat spastic and held in check. It's the greed and the self-centeredness that leaves our hearts confined and our hopes curbed. It's the blindness that we battle when we see someone who is unlike us, and we fail to see that Christ is already in them. When they watched him run, he reminded them that they don't have to be particularly good at something to do a particularly good thing. Yes, Ben Coleman reminded them to press on. So friends, put a smile on your face. The good news is that today is a new day. And we can press on, straining toward the goal to make it our own in the sure and certain hope that Christ has made us His own. And one day, we will find our way home. So with joy and thanksgiving, 
Let's keep pressing on. Will you pray with me? We thank you, God, for the examples of the faith that encourage us to keep pressing on, straining towards you to find our home in you. We thank you for Paul. and We thank you for Ben and countless others who inspire us to do better and let your spirit work through us so we might come closer to become the one you want us to be. May it be so. Amen.